Good morning. It's Easter morning, Resurrection Day. What a glorious day. I'm so excited that we get to spend the next few minutes together and let's just talk about Jesus. There's really nothing else that matters. It's just Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning. But before we get there, let me just throw out a few, uh, few little pieces of, of information. If this is your first time connecting with us, the first time that you're watching us online and you've not been here with us for a service in person, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. And an easy way to do that is if you will just text NCC Guest to 97000. You'll get a prompt back. It'll ask a few questions. And it'll give us the opportunity to get to know you, to pray for you. And we'll be sure that when we're able to get back together that we'll, we'll invite you to be here with us. I also want to remind the family that at 7 o'clock each night, while we're going through this COVID crisis, we're praying every night at 7 o'clock. So set, your, set yourself a reminder, put it on your phone somewhere, that at 7 o'clock the whole body is getting together and we're just taking a few minutes and we're praying for the end of this thing. We're praying for protection for people and we're just praying that the love of Jesus will be seen through all of it. And the last thing is, I just want to throw a special, a special shout out to you guys out at Triumph Village. I just want to say that we're with you guys. We love you guys. We're proud of you guys. We're praying for you guys. I know that this is a season where you're really taking time to get yourself healthy. And we're in this with you. We love you guys. Can't wait to see you again. All right, as I said, we're gonna be in John chapter 17. Hopefully you've grabbed your Bible and you're already turning over there. But I wanted to just tell you about an Easter a couple of years ago. In fact, it was Easter two years ago. I was laying in a hospital bed. I had been there for about two weeks at that time. Most of you know that uh, I battled a uh, life-threatening disease at the time. And I was laying in the bed, it was early in the morning, and the Lord woke me up. He was singing to me. I could hear a song as I was asleep. And then as I began to wake up, I realized I could hear it with my physical ears. And then I opened my eyes, and right in front of me, as if she was actually there, was Jennifer Bry. It was a, a vision from the Lord. Jennifer Bry, one of our wonderful worship leaders here at New Covenant, was singing a song. And it really was a heavenly vision. Now, I know her husband, who's behind the camera this morning, he would say that she's a heavenly vision. And if he doesn't, he's going to be in trouble when he gets home. And all of us that have heard her sing know that she has a heavenly voice. Thank you, Jennifer, for what you do. Thank you for being the woman of God that you are. And thank you for being there when I really needed you to be there. It was a heavenly vision. She wasn't there in person, but I saw her standing there. She had her hands raised. She had her eyes closed, and she was just worshiping. And she was singing a song. Now, it was a song that I'd heard before. I wasn't really familiar with it. We had sang it at church a few times, but I didn't know the lyrics. But this is what she was singing. Let me read it to you. The song's called Happy Day. It says, Greatest day in history. Death is beaten. You have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave, life eternal. You have won the day. Shout it out. 
Jesus is alive. Oh, happy day. Happy day. You washed my sin away. Oh, happy day. I'll never be the same forever. I am changed. And for about 45 minutes as I'm laying there in my bed, I'm seeing this vision of Jennifer singing this song and I'm hearing this song and I'm just weeping and I'm just worshiping and I'm telling you, in that moment, nothing else mattered. I wasn't concerned about whether I would ever get out of that bed again. I wasn't feeling the loneliness that I had been feeling because my family wasn't able to be there with me the whole time. I wasn't upset that I couldn't be at church again. And I wasn't even upset that it was Easter Sunday morning and I wasn't going to be able to be with my church family. The only thing that mattered in that moment was that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and I am a child of God. We're finishing up our lesson series entitled, Before I Go. It's the last few moments that Jesus spent with his disciples before he went to the cross. And we've studied over the last three weeks, John chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16. And as we get into chapter 17, Jesus begins to pray. That's why I've entitled my message, When Jesus Prays. Because when Jesus prays, we should pay attention. That's a prayer that we want to hear. That's a prayer that we want to know about. So you got your Bible? Let's look there in John chapter 17. Because I believe there are three things that we can see from this prayer of Jesus that can impact our lives right now. John 17 verse 1 says, After all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Here's the first thing that, that we can take away from Jesus's prayer. It was how he prayed, how he prayed. First of all, he looked up. That's an attitude of relationship. There's nothing wrong with bowing your head. Of course, I'm not saying that, but, but he looked up to heaven. I don't know how many times that, that I've just been in prayer and I just look up and I just lift my hands. It's an attitude of prayer. In other words, it's not groveling. Some people think that you have to grovel when you come before God, that you have to beg before you come uh, into God's presence. But there's an attitude of knowing who we are in Christ Jesus when we come to the Father. And that's the very next thing that Jesus said. He said, Father, glorify your Son. He acknowledged the relationship. He acknowledged the relationship. First, there was an attitude of relationship. Now Jesus is acknowledging the relationship. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves who we are, the position that we hold. We are not just some tack on. We're not just somebody that God has added we are children of the King. We are children of the King. We've been adopted into the family of God. And if you take that um, from a, a Hebrew standpoint, at the time that Jesus was living, an adopted child had some rights that even the, the naturally born children didn't have. Someone born into the family, 
if they were acting crazy, if they were rebellious, the father could actually put them out of the family, put them out of the house. But once you've been adopted into a house, you couldn't do that. You could not put a child out of the family once you've adopted them into the family. And that's the way God does it with us. He is not looking to put us outside of the family. He's not looking to put us outside of the house. He has adopted us and he's never going to turn his back on us. And the last thing that Jesus said here is glorify the son so he can glorify the father. He's going to honor the relationship. Remember, we started with an attitude of relationship. And then Jesus acknowledged the relationship, the father-son, the father-child relationship. And now he's glorifying, he's honoring the relationship when he's saying glorify your son so I can glorify you. It's not just about what I want and what I need. When I was laying in that hospital bed, the point that I had to come to was did I really want to be healed just because I wanted to be free of the pain? Yeah, I wanted to be free of the pain. But was my deeper attitude, Lord, I want this to happen because I want it to glorify you. Sometimes we pray for, for financial blessings. Lord, if you'll give me this job, I can make more money. Do we want the job so we can hoard the money on ourselves? Or are we saying, Lord, if you bless me, I want to pour more into the kingdom. It's all about honoring the relationship. Sometimes even with forgiveness. I've messed up. I go to the Father for forgiveness. But do I want forgiveness just so I'll feel better about me? Just so I won't feel so bad about me? Or am I really going to the Father understanding that when I'm living in a place of sin, it harms my relationship with him. Prayer is about relationship. When we pray from an attitude of relationship and we acknowledge our place in the relationship and our prayers honor the relationship, God will respond by answering our prayers. God will respond to that relationship by answering prayers, especially when our intent is to glorify him. So here's the next thing that we can see. We saw how Jesus prayed, but what about what he prayed about? Here's what Jesus prayed about. John 17, 3. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. We started with relationship, and Jesus is still about relationship. What he's praying about now is an eternal relationship. He's praying about salvation. The word here, to know, he said, he said that the only way to eternal life is to know the only true God. To know, this word is, is much more deep than, you know, do I know RJ who is standing behind the camera here? Yeah, I know RJ. But that's not the, the word here. The word here is a deep relationship. It's a deep understanding. The Greek actually uh, says that it is a relationship that is recognized as worthy of intimacy. 
So when I am knowing God, God is saying that I am worthy of a deep, intimate relationship with Him. And I am in turn saying, God, I want a deep and intimate relationship with you. Just as in the Hebrew, the Greek word, the Greek connotation here is deep, personal, and complete knowledge, as in a marriage relationship. They actually use the word know for sexual relations. To know. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It was a deep, deep, intimate relationship and life was the result. And it's the same word in Psalms 46 when it says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still and engage in that deep, intimate relationship and life will be the result. In verse 11, Jesus continues praying, says, Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are united. Once again, Jesus is praying about relationship. He's praying about unity in the relationship. We're all under the same name. The same name. He said, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. The whole family under the name. There's power in the name when we're united. There's power in the name of Jesus when we're united. And the enemy knows that, and that's why he fights unity. He knows that, that a lack of relationship will destroy unity. So we have to really press in and fight for unity. And the body of Christ can be unified. I know that, that, that we've got a wide range of, of people that call themselves Christians. And, and we differ in, in certain doctrines in certain ways. But we can be unified about the things that really, really matter. What really, really matters evangelism, discipleship, and serving. We can be united with the rest of the body of Christ around those things. A Methodist and a Pentecostal, a, a, a Baptist and a Catholic, we can be united when it really matters. And that's what Jesus was praying. We want to be united around these things that really, really matter. How we accomplish evangelism, discipleship, and serving, that may differ, but the goal is the same. Now down in verse 17, it says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So Jesus is uh, now praying about a purity in the relationship. Make them holy by your truth. Holiness means to be pure, to be morally right, to be separated from evil in our actions. 
it's, it's, it's really the, the outer working of the inward righteousness that God has brought to us through salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He brings righteousness with Him. We are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians tells us. We have been made righteous. Righteousness just means right standing. We have right standing with God. Holiness is taking that right standing from our salvation relationship and allowing to work itself out into our daily living. It's not about rules and, uh, rules and regulations. It's not about just how long your hair is or something like that. It's really about how we operate in love. C.S. Lewis said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. Now religion, it's resistible. Rules and regulations that, that, that go beyond what the Bible teaches us, that's, that's, that's resistible. But when you really meet somebody who's walking in holiness, when the love of God is, is taking that righteousness from the inside and expressing it through love on the outside, that's irresistible. We want to be irresistible. And Jesus said, not only make them holy by your truth, but he said, teach them your word, which is the truth. Truth teaches us about holiness and the basis of truth is the Word of God. We need to come back to a, a, a deep love of the Word of God. We need to come back to a place where we are really, really searching the Scriptures and loving the Scriptures. I used to use this example a lot when I was a, a youth pastor. It always seemed like I had, you know, three-fourths girls and only about a quarter boys, and we knew the boys, they hardly listened anyway. But I, I would use this example. I would say, hey girls, if the man of your dreams wrote you a letter, now I know that's hard to think about nowadays, people don't write letters, but if the man of your dreams actually sat down and wrote you a letter expressing how much he loved you and how much he was investing into this relationship so he could love you, Oh, you would take that letter, you would hold on to that letter, you would put that letter up under your pillow while you slept, you would pull it out and you would read it, and you would read it again. It didn't matter that it said the same thing as it had the last time. It does not get boring. You continue to hear the love in the letter. And when your friends come over, you're going to read the letter to them. And of course, I'm tying that back to the Word of God. We need to have that kind of love for the Word of God. We're reading in it how much He loves us, how much He's invested in the relationship so we could be close. We need to have that, that reverence for the Word of God. So He can teach us holiness by teaching us truth, and His truth is in His Word. Jesus' Jesus' prayer shows us God's heart for relationship in adoption, in unity, and in holiness. So here's the third thing that, that we can answer from Jesus' prayer is why he prayed. Why did Jesus pray this prayer to begin with? And we see it in John 17, 
verse 22 and 23, says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus is praying this prayer so the relationship can continue. He, it says he's giving us his glory. He's giving us his ministry. He's giving us his authority. He's giving us his relationship with the Father. Now, before somebody says, oh, well, that was just for the disciples at that time, pull your Bible out and go up just a couple of scriptures there where Jesus says, I'm praying this for all of those who will hear this message later. This is for us. Jesus wants us to know that the Father loves us as much as he loved him. And that he is giving his glory, his ministry, his authority to the body of Christ. Jesus prayed about relationships. This prayer was just before he was betrayed, before he was arrested, before he was put on trial and then condemned to death. And his death paid for our relationship with the Father. It settled the account for sin. It settled the account for my sin. Every strike of that hammer on those nails, on those spikes that were going into Jesus' hands and into his feet, every time they struck it, it was screaming into the spirit realm, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. Every strike of that hammer was saying, Chris is forgiven. His sin is forgiven. His brokenness is being paid for. And it wasn't just for me, obviously. It was for you. But you need to take this very, very personally. Jesus did this to honor the Father because the Father wanted a relationship with you. And when they, they set that cross up, they put him between two thieves and they drop that cross into the ground. You have to understand that crucifixion was one of the most torturous things ever designed by man. It was a cruel way to kill somebody. You weren't gonna die from bleeding. That was not the point. Putting the nails through your hands and your feet were just keeping him to the cross. Whoever was crucified was going to die because they suffocated, because they couldn't breathe, because they died of exhaustion. The way that the Romans stretched out somebody on the cross, the way that they put them on the cross put so much pressure on the lungs that they couldn't breathe. And the only way that they could get a full breath of air was to push up, to push up and allow their, their lungs to expand. But of course, pushing up 
meant they were pushing against that spike that was in their feet. And Jesus had already said, if I wanted to, I could call and legions of angels would come and get me out of this. And they put Jesus on that cross and they put him in the ground and he pushed up for that, that first breath of air. And at that moment, he could have called for angels. At that moment, he could have called fire down from heaven. At that moment, he could have gotten out of it. But at that moment, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he wasn't just talking about those that were there that were mocking him on that day. He was saying, Father, forgive Chris because he doesn't know what he was doing. He's forgiven all of us. The death of Jesus was for the forgiveness of all of us. And then he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. It is finished. It was finished. It was paid for. The price was paid for. It was done. It was done for you. It was done for me. There was no more eternal punishment for sin in my future. There was no more chains of condemnation and unrighteousness for my life. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave and when he rose from the dead, he became the first reborn of many, freeing us, freeing us from the law of sin and death. Jesus set me free on September the 23rd, 1987. Just after 7 a.m. in the morning, I pulled my car off to the side of a farm market road just outside of Greenville, Texas, and I got down on my knees and I said, God, take me. God, I'm yours. And God, I receive you. And I've never gotten over it. It changed me from that moment. I've never gotten over that day. I've never gotten over that moment. 30 years later, I found myself laying in a hospital bed with God singing to me. And what He was reminding me of was my life was eternal. My life was eternal. Oh, happy day, you washed my sins away. Oh, happy day, I'll never be the same. Forever, I am changed. At that moment, I didn't really care about death because I knew I was eternally alive. I knew I was really alive. Are you alive? Are you eternally alive? On this Easter Sunday morning, are you living in the resurrection life that Jesus paid for? You can be. And oh, what a happy day it would be. You'll never be the same. Do you want a relationship with God? Do you want a relationship with God? Do you recognize that there's something in your life that's just not right? Do you recognize in your life that there's an emptiness? Do you recognize at this moment as you're listening to this 
that you do not have a real and an alive relationship with the God of this universe. You can. You may be on the other side or you've got a relationship but that righteousness that's in you is not always working itself out in holiness. And when we don't allow that to happen, it does put a block between us and God in our relationship. Not that God is trying to stand away from us. That's not the way that it works. God wants to work on our stuff with us. He doesn't separate from us. But not allowing that holiness to work itself out in our lives. It stunts our growth. It keeps us from being the people that God has called us to be. And maybe there was a time when you were passionate about your relationship. Maybe you came to Jesus at the point of absolute need, but you let the passion just wane. I want you to pray with me. If you're in either one of those situations, if this is the first time, maybe you've heard the, the message of Jesus many, many times, but you've just never truly given your life to Him and asked Him to come and take over your life. I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, NCC, all of you out there that have just a wonderful relationship with Jesus, let's pray this prayer together just as a prayer of rededication. You say, Jesus, I give you me. The good, the bad, the ugly, I give you me. I give you my brokenness, I give you my hurt, and I lay my sin down at the foot of that cross. And I ask you to receive me. Come to me, Jesus, I invite you. I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to come and give me that real, that real relationship. Give me that real relationship. I've come to a place where I understand I cannot do it on my own. I need you. Jesus, come into my life. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, if you prayed it for the first time, or you prayed it as a prayer to renew your relationship with the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something because we really want to connect with you. We want to help you take your next steps in your relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you to text NCC Prayer. That's N-C-C-P-R-A-Y-E-R -E to 97,000. And if you'll do that, you're going to receive a prompt. And it's just going to ask you, how can we pray for you? And inside of there, I want you to just put, I gave my heart to Jesus. I asked Jesus to come in my life. I renewed my relationship with Jesus. However you want to say it, and then just hit send. And it's going to come to us, and we're going to get back in touch with you. We want to give you some materials. We want to help you walk this walk. You are not in this by yourself. This is where discipleship comes in. We want to help you grow in your relationship. And church family, if you're out there and you need prayer, you can send something to that same prompt. 
NCC prayer at 97,000. And we're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for you. I'm telling you, the pastors of this church love you. We care about you. And we cannot wait to be able to see you again, to worship together in person. But until then, remember, you're forever changed. Forever changed.